0: Let's get started. Here is your host, Vincenzo Toscano.
1: Hello, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Ecommerce Lab by Ecomsy, the place where everything related to Amazon, FBA, private label, and e commerce. My name is Vincenzo Toscano, founder and CEO of Ecomsy. Today, we bring you another special guest. His name is Steve Simonson, and he's the founder of many well-known companies in the commerce space, such as Empowery, Product Parsimony, Catalyst 88, and then Awesomers, which is an amazing podcast as well. So Steve has a great reputation when it comes to shipping hundreds of containers globally. So I think he's the perfect person today to discuss the topic, which is going to be how is looking the Amazon and e-commerce in general when it comes to the state and everything that's going on? So let me not delay this further. Steve, it's a pleasure to have you here. How are you doing today?
2: I'm well, thank you. Uh, always glad to be here. Uh, and you know, we had the chance just a, a couple of weeks ago to hang out in London, and uh, and so it's always fun seeing people in person and pressing the flesh. Um, but uh, of course it's we, on this sort of uh, platform, we can, we can share and, and talk to more people at one time. So that's also uh, nice, so thanks for having me. And, you know, hopefully uh, I could be helpful.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, for sure, it's a pleasure to have you. And I know the extensive knowledge that you have when it comes to global logistics, e- e-commerce and everything that has to do with also supply chain. So I think it's going to be, you're going to be a great asset when it comes to providing us with knowledge and tips around this topic. And um, and I think it's going to for sure provide a lot of insights when, when it comes to people that are struggling right now with this situation worldwide. So I think before we jump into today's topic, it, I usually like to give to my audience maybe one or two minutes, just a brief introduction of my guests. So if you can briefly just introduce yourself, how you got started in e-commerce, some of your companies and things like that. So it will be very helpful as well. Yeah.
2: Sure, sure. Uh, well, listen, I'm a, I'm a older fellow. Uh, the, so I got started a long time ago. My first website was in 1996. My first sale uh, <laughs> with a secure shopping cart was in 1998. This is, um, back when Amazon was selling just books and DVDs, they hadn't really expanded. And I, I saw it and I'm like, oh gosh, I want to sell something. And I didn't know what to sell. And I had a flooring store at the time. And I said, well, maybe I'll sell, um, I can, I think area rugs was my first yeah. idea. We'll just sell rugs. And, and that didn't go so easily. Um, and so we're like, ah, we'll just sell whatever. It doesn't matter. Shippings, we don't have to make money, right? This is back in the dot com glory days. And over time, we learned, oh, well, we actually do need to know how much it costs and we should build systems. And and we actually did uh, some interesting things along the way. So we started to learn. So that was my early days in e-commerce. Amazon invited us to join their platform in around 2001, 2002, uh, after the dot-com bust. By the way, yeah. people forget,
1: Amazon was <laughs> down
2: 95% from its high, right? Nobody believed them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and they called them the dot bomb, right? They're on the cover. Magazines called the dot bomb. So yeah. people in this world of tumultuous financials and this and that, they they don't always remember these things. So, uh, but over time, we we you know we started selling a few things, and uh, I would say after two thousand nine, two thousand ten, FBA got really good, and so yeah. Amazon really became a viable channel for us. And we're multi-channel, so we sell to big box retailers. We sell the distribution. We sell, you know, D to C on our own websites and we also sell on marketplaces, which includes Amazon.
1: Yeah. That's great, thank you. Amazing summary. Yeah, I think just the last part that you just mentioned that you are multi-channel, I bet that this last two years been a nightmare for you when it comes to dealing with all the logistics and everything that's going on worldwide. So maybe we can start on that uh, as a first question, which is how have you seen in last two years the growth of uh, e-commerce happening worldwide? And what are some of your insights on what happened after the pandemic and everything that affected the growth of e-commerce?
2: Well, first of all, when the pandemic first started, nobody knew exactly what was going to happen.
1: Everybody <laughs> anticipated
2: trouble, right? And so yeah. um, there were a lot of people that you know, were in a world of uncertainty, myself included, and, and it did not go great for us in certain parts of the business, right? When we had, through one of our distribution partners, we had 6,000 of their stores shut down. So wow. we sell product to distribution. Distribution sells it to these stores. And when 6,000 of your customers are closed for <laughs> many months, that's, that's not it. a great vibe. But the yeah. interesting thing is my partners and myself were like, this is a time to capture market share. When everybody's scared, when everybody's running, we capture market share. And that comes with a, a, quite a bit of risk, as you might imagine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, we, and that also began the time where the supply chain just collapsed, right? Everything just fell apart. So I have people in China and Vietnam and India and so forth. And we're a global company, at least from a procurement standpoint, and yeah. have been in, in a sales standpoint, but less so this particular moment. And, you know, when my people in China are just like locked in their houses, uh, and the factories are completely closed, and we knew there's going to be trouble. So we we went in pretty heavy. And like, as the moment you get back up, we got a bunch of POs for you. We're going to be (laughs) the guys you can count on. And this really creates relationships with those suppliers. They know that, you know, we're here for the long game. It turns out we were super lucky because when that inventory shipped finally, and and as the cost skyrocketed for freight,
1: um,
2: we were in a pretty good position. So the truth is we were not immune to any of those problems of supply chain, you know, gaps uh, increased in shipping. It's all been a nightmare. And, the honest truth is I didn't really deal with the day-to-day operations of that very much at all. It, I say before two years ago, like I have a really nice team.
1: That's They're I super yeah. smart.
2: They know way more than me, but two years ago, it's like, no, Steve's back on the front lines because I we see. have to figure out complex. Like I'm, I'm the complex problem solver when, yeah. when it, you have an impossible problem, you call Steve. And so, that's what I, I've been doing for the last two years is trying to spin that Rubik's Cube of you know, supply chain, shipping, the costs, um, where are things going? I have to try to predict the future, right? Your yeah. job as a CEO is to anticipate what's happening in the future and then set strategies to get the best out of that that future.
0: Yeah. And
2: it's not easy. And by the way, I'm open to being wrong. The truth is, I just haven't been wrong uh, very much. Uh, And this (laughs) is good. Yeah, it's lucky for me. And it's not that I'm right 100% of the time, but every single kind of point of conflict that I have predicted over the last couple of years has come true and continues to, to come true. And so that means that my strategies of moving things out of China and my um, ideas of you know, kind of broadening the supply chain base for shipping reasons and all those things—they continue to be good decisions as of this moment. Maybe tomorrow it changes and it's all a yeah. failure, but as of right now, we're doing okay because of that. And uh, but I, I can tell you, it's not static. It will continue to change, and that means we have to continue to think about these things. So that's taken yeah. really more time than I than I. I don't want to spend this much time doing it.
1: Yeah, I I can imagine. Yeah, I I think at the same time going through this struggle, I I also believe that for you and your company is going to provide some kind of also benefit in the long term because for sure you're now designing SOPs. Your team is understanding how to easily adapt to all the situations that are happening. And I think with the fast growth we are seeing in e-commerce, you're going to be in a much better position right now because you have built those systems compared to businesses that haven't really adapted yet and are really trying to catch up with the commerce growth that's happening worldwide, right?
2: Well, we do have that benefit of um, experience and the benefit of systems and people. This is ultimately... uh, That's an advantage until it isn't an advantage, right? So when you have a bunch of your customers that are out of business, you're still paying a bunch of people (laughs) You still have a bunch of inventory. There there are aspects of that, that kind of ebb and flow, but you know, the the truth is we're, we're just like anybody else. We're fighting for survival, right? It doesn't matter how many containers you do or how many, you know, uh, dollars you do. If you are not positioned for that long haul, you're fighting for, you're fighting for survival. And Amazon talks about that all the time with their day one strategy. They know that if they get complacent, if they get comfortable there somebody's going to beat them and uh, yeah we're you know we have a high degree of uh paranoia i suppose and we don't want to be on the battlefield with a competitor and have them beat us so we got to get good and get tight now
1: yeah that's yeah that's a great advice for sure i you also touch on an important topic uh, and, and something that is within your strategies right now that you are talking about, you, you're right now moving your operations outside of China in, in this instance. So can you briefly just touch on that and how you see this shift happening when it comes to supply chain moving out of China and which countries you see that transition going into with what, what everything is happening right now worldwide? Yeah.
2: Well, first of all, this is not an easy answer. Uh, Anybody who tells you it is doesn't know what they're doing. Um, (laughs) So we've been trying to move the supply chain for years, since 2017, basically. The the moment the Trump tariffs, that's what we call them, started being put in place, uh, that became a big obstacle. And it's not just us, right? Our competition started to move stuff. And so if they pay 25% less for their cost of goods, then than we do out of China, we better pay attention to that. So uh, over the course of the last several years, we've been able to move roughly 60% out of China, but not all to the places that people would expect. Um, Some of it's gone to the US, some of it's gone to Germany, some of it's gone to Vietnam. Honestly, Vietnam has been one of our biggest strategic wins. If we didn't have Vietnam right now, we would be in serious trouble. Uh, We also use Malaysia, we use, uh, to a lesser extent, Cambodia and Thailand, uh, India as well. Uh, India is a rising star. Yeah. Uh, We would like to do more Mexico. There are some complications with Mexico. I see. uh, Vis-a-vis cartel problems and (laughs) raw materials problems. Like if if you go to Mexico and they're still getting the raw materials from China, you're not really completely uh, solving the problem. So uh, the other thing I would just let people know – Everything they think in general, this is a general statement. So there's exceptions okay. to this rule. But okay. for the most part, the general mindset of what is happening in China, all the things they believe and know about China. I put no in quotes, by the way. Yeah,
1: no. Yeah. <laughs> it's completely
2: wrong. Right. Everybody thinks that China is rising because they have so many people. Nope. China's running out of people, even mm. though they still have you know, probably over a billion people. Their population probably peaked back in 2004, 2005. And it's just on a steady decline. Yeah. Since I started going to China, cost of labor is up 12x. So people think a lot of people that's no longer a low cost advantage for China, which means they got to get good at automation. They got to get good at other things. Uh, they also don't have enough power. So you know, as power is being rationed, you know, in various times, that's not awesome. Uh, there are some political issues at stake here, geopolitical issues between countries that are not fully predictable and cause uncertainty, which causes people to kind of move out of China. So there's a lot of foreign companies moving out of China. Uh, There are many other things, you know, when it comes to education, when it comes to wealth, all the the things that we think about China, not all of them are true. In fact, most of them are not just different than you think. Many cases Hmm. that are the opposite of what you think. And these are, listen, I don't want this to be the case. I'm just observing it is the case. Uh, yeah, I, I wish everything was like it was back in 2019, <laughs> where everybody's yeah. just kind of going along and and happy. Alibaba,
1: things. China, everything easy,
2: <laughs> super easy. Yeah, hit the Next. easy button. Uh, but that's just not the way it's going to be. So we got to get better, faster, smarter, and uh, and it, it really is a fight for survival. It doesn't mean China's out of business. It just means yeah. the the method of the future will not always be Alibaba. I will still start in China because they have everything. But as I prove a product, I will try to figure out where strategically I can get raw materials, labor, and energy for production on an ongoing, sustainable, large-scale basis, um, you know, to the extent that that is the, the mission of that particular brand or product.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think you also mentioned something very interesting, which is the raw material thing, because it, I think it's also important to mention here that regardless of the of the potential of a country for manufacturing capabilities, if the raw materials are not hitting the country when it comes to imports, there's nothing you can do. So I think it's also interesting because I think you also briefly touched on that when you were here in, in London, how the raw materials geolocation is going to be key when it comes to choosing your future manufacturers, right? In the perspective for sure
2: yeah so you know the 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 crazy situation in ukraine you know where russia decides they're gonna just go in and they call it a special military operation Other people <laughs> yeah who have brains call it a war and yeah. they've disrupted all kinds of raw materials all kinds of metals and all kinds mm. of food uh stuffs and all of that's going to have a problem six months, nine months from now, in the winter, there will be serious food shortage. Iran's already rioting because the food prices increasing. This will be a hard hitting reality across the Middle East and the, the subcontinent of Africa as well. And like most of us in Western nations, we're kind of insulated. We won't have that food mm. shortage. So it's hard for us to, to recognize the severity of it. But when you have a, a country, let's just say the Congo, <clears throat> excuse me if they run short of food they're a lot less likely to go mine lithium or to go mine platinum or some of the other things we've already sanctioned away all of russia's output and largely uh dismembered the ukrainian outputs and this all of this is connected so i'm not a I'm not trying to be chicken little but i see the bridge is out ahead right and yeah. instead of sending people with the green light over the bridge it's like hey Maybe we pump the brakes a little bit. Let's find some alternate routes and let's get smart, tight and fast uh, Yeah, right now.
1: For sure. Yeah. And, and you also mentioned now everything that has to do with pricing increased, which is happening worldwide. And I'm sure you, you can also share with us some insights when it comes to how you're seeing this inflation that is definitely happening worldwide, some countries worse than others, and how this is impacting e-commerce and customer behavior. Because for sure, I think there's definitely something happening there. And how you see this basically uh, in the long term uh, contributing to the growth of the, the, of the e-commerce in, in the long term. Yeah,
2: Yeah, so it, the truth is there's going to be a slowdown of growth in e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But e-commerce is still probably the best place to be. If you don't have an oil well, then e-commerce is probably the best place <laughs> to be, right? Yeah. Uh, and... So the the growth will slow in in actual unit sales. E-commerce is down year over year, which is Mm. not ideal, right? We're used to 20, 30% growth. And if you're actually down in terms of real units, although dollar wise, you're up because of inflation. This sends mixed signals and customers are not stupid, right? I think politicians assume we're all stupid. (laughs) I literally just spent the most (laughs) amount of money I've ever spent filling up my gas tank yesterday. The highest I've ever spent ever, and, and I, you, know, I, I'm not really looking for my next meal. The guy who's looking for his next meal and has a car that's broken down and you know has all these problems, these are massive, massive impacts. So you know, anybody who doesn't expect a recession in the United States and the broader Western world is just not paying attention. There will be a recession, there will be changes in patterns, and the consumption patterns that we've come to predict will be just different some things will win some things will lose and so i can't you know say you know like oh you shouldn't sell anything or you should just hunker down in a bunker that's not what i'm saying i'm saying prepare for change it's inevitable Inflation's getting everybody everywhere uh and i don't see it slowing down in the near future it may the pace of growth may slow down but i think it's still going to grow for at least the next several months if not through the end of this year in in western worlds
1: yeah, for sure. And I think what what is also very curious is that regardless of, of this situation that's happening worldwide, we still see big players coming into the space and trying to really win the crown when it comes to e-commerce. I mean, we are seeing Walmart has pushing very hard in the States to try to really compete with Amazon. So how are you really seeing this available in terms of the competition? And um, um, and if you even see Walmart being able to overtake Amazon in the long term when it comes uh, to this e-commerce war right now?
2: <laughs> well, the truth is, I don't know if Walmart will be a, a contender or not, right? I mean, they're, they're big, but they're not, they're not a cornerstone of people's businesses today because they haven't yet ironed out the wrinkles. I, I, I'm okay. cheering not just for Walmart, but for TikTok or Facebook or Google mm. or anybody to be a legitimate contender against Amazon. Competition makes everybody better. Now, yeah. if you're the, the monopolistic leader, why in the world would you want competition, right? I get it. Yeah. If I was that guy, I'd be trying to do everything I could to you know, keep, keep out, the, out. The, uh, the riffraff. But the truth is for sellers and for customers, competition is largely beneficial. And so, although I don't know who the winners will be, I hope that Walmart will get their ducks in a row and do better. And I, I expect some of these other marketplaces that will emerge to you know, be more impactful in the future than they are today. Uh, But as long as the consumer is kind of mentally trained, like I want my prime, then that's, that's the brilliance of Amazon. They have really done a wonderful job at making prime like a utility. Yeah. I just buy prime. And then I, uh, the problem is, and I'll, I'll be honest, I just killed my prime. It it ends in July because it used to be two days shipping or faster was on, on Amazon. Now it's like, we'll ship it whenever we damn well please, right? which is That's not correct. so good. And yeah. so, so I'm actually – like I would love to switch to Walmart, and I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a try. I've tried to buy some things at Walmart, and Walmart Plus is actually quite compelling when it comes to shipping. Um, yeah. And I, they're actually losing money on some of these shipments for sure. Yeah. But I do believe that, you know, over time, if they can start to build up some scale, maybe that's uh, viable. So the, the truth is, in 10 years, I don't know if Amazon will be number one. I kind of doubt they will be because things change. I see. Uh, but I don't know who will take their place. And I don't think we've seen a good enough competitor show up yet.
1: I see. But I think... It- which is also maybe good to bring to the table is that regardless of if Amazon right now is the best one or Walmart is, the, is going to be eventually in the future, I think for sure, based on the whole competition that is coming to the market, so many retailers trying to jump online. I think that right now being just on Amazon is not enough. Maybe do you think that being cross-platform in 2022 is definitely needed to succeed in e-commerce?
2: Well, it's, it's a two-part question, right? So is, should you be cross-platform? Maybe. Um, it depends if you're worth a damn on one channel yet or not. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not, yeah. then get good at that channel. Like you should have some level of proficiency. I, I really think people should be doing around a million bucks a year before they, they get too complicated.
0: Yeah. And
2: so that means $83,000 a month. If you're doing less than $83,000 a month on Amazon, you're probably not ready to cross that's anywhere. True. And that's, that's because all of these things take time and energy and effort. And so the opportunity costs that you'll face trying to get good at some of these other platforms short-term will definitely not be as worth it as putting energy into your main platform. Now, long-term, especially if Amazon cuts you off three months from now for some unknown reason, maybe it's right or maybe (laughs) it's wrong. We don't know. Long-term, it's definitely better for you, especially if you own that relationship with the customer on your own website and and so on and so forth. So there are, are parts of it but I I really think a sufficient level of scale is a reasonable concept before you jump into other channels. And I would highly advise people stop spinning up five or six different brands until you, (laughs) if you're not doing $10 million on a single brand, then pump the brakes and get back to basics and just make that one brand a winner. And if it's not a winner, kill it, sell it, do something, you know, until you can find, and you can go to 10 million on a single brand, then start coming up with other brands. Amazing. Ideas are easy. Execution is hard.
1: Yeah, great advice, 100%. That's amazing, Steve. I think now for sure to start concluding today's episode, uh, I think the last question I usually like to give uh, to my guests is, is there any other extra tip or how they call calling the Amazon community a gold nugget that you can provide when it comes to tips to help our audience when it comes to, you know, Right in the wave of everything that's happening worldwide in e-commerce and try to really survive all the challenges that we just discussed and be able to succeed in, in the long term. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I tell you, there is there's no higher investment than investing in yourself. In my experience, if you spend time getting yourself better, uh, more educated, whether it's books or podcasts or a combination of those, training yourself as a CEO and, and being a good leader, like this is. I don't think people spend enough time on it. They get a little traction on Amazon. I've seen some some brilliant people treat their their team like uh, <laughs> you know tissue paper, like they I can know, just go through it, and that that the people are the problem, not them. Believe me, it's it's the CEO entrepreneur who doesn't know what they're doing. And I I really encourage you invest in yourself. That is intellectual equity that nobody can take from you. And it works on every business you do, no matter how fast or slow that business grows, that intellectual equity compounds over time. And I've found it to be not just valuable for myself, but countless entrepreneurs that I've crossed paths with over the decades.
1: Amazing. Thank you very much, Steve. I I want for sure. Thank you once again for coming today. I know you're a very busy man. All the knowledge you dropped today, the insights, everything, I'm sure that our audience are going to find it very helpful. But before we close uh, today's episode, I want to give you for sure a few minutes so you can share with your audience how they can reach you, if they want to find out more about what you do, and, you know, send you maybe a message and get in contact with you, yeah?
2: Yeah, well, hopefully they won't send me messages because I get enough of those. Uh, But I really, you know, if if people want to hear my crazy rants, they can go to the awesomers.com podcast, uh, available at all your favorite podcasting places or the website awesomers.com. Product Savants is something that Kevin King and I do to try to solve the number one and number two problems that entrepreneurs face, which is A, coming up with an idea and B, having it economically sourceable. Um, We solve both of those problems. Um, Empowery is a nonprofit volunteer effort Um, you know, that I, I started, but it's picking up its own steam. If you're in e-commerce, it's like a trade association. It's like a buying group and it's like a community all wrapped in one. Yeah, it's the ABCs amazing. of e-commerce. Go check it out, get involved, give to your community, give before you take, right? Be awesomer at, by giving before you take. And that's, that's just a way of life, you know, for, for me on a good day and uh, on bad days i take an angry nap and then i uh <laughs> i reset and i try to be better so yeah uh, but that's that's the best ways to find me and uh, by the way as an example this week on Osmers we have a live hangout i'll be on there with a bunch of other cool people and we'll be sharing free with the community best yeah. practices and efforts live
1: amazing yeah i'm gonna make sure to join for sure <laughs> can't wait <laughs> Great, Steve. So, thank you once again. Definitely let's keep in touch and looking forward to have you on the next one for sure. Okay?
0: Thank you, Vincenzo. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The E-commerce Lab by Ecom c Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it, we would appreciate it if you could leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. That will make it easier for others to find out about the show and benefit from it. Want more? Visit our website at www.ecomc.com where you can get your first consultation for free. Or find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at ecomc.